three, two, one, zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to Unearthed, out of this world conversations about space mining with the people going after it. We're your hosts, Brandon Harris and Jared Peterson of Peter Lucas Project Management. In today's episode, we're diving into the area of mining innovation and discussing actual methods for mining resources off Earth, which leverage a lot of today's current technology used on our planet. Now, to help us understand this subject better, we have the pleasure of speaking to our next guest, Steve Halibura, who is a subsurface geologist with a technical background in petroleum, potash, coal, helium, among other resources, and has done so in Canada, the US, Russia, Australia, Africa, and China. He has held co-founder, officer, and director roles within multiple exploration and production companies, working to turn ideas into real value. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Uh, thank you, Jared and Brandon. And I'd just like to start by uh, complimenting the uh, the mustaches and hair. Uh, impressive guys. You, know. <laughs> you too. I, well, I'm thinking this is going to be coming off here in the next day or two. I'm going to go with the grizzle kind of. My, my wife wants me to do that too, so I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Well, you got the start of the uh, mutton chops. You know, that's a classic country look. <laughs> Waylon Jennings. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. So before we start speaking, maybe into how somebody would go about actually mining the moon, Mars, or an asteroid, why do you believe it's important that we should be exploring resources in outer space? Well, I, I sort of come at it from the technology viewpoint or the extractive side of, uh, side of the resource business. I think at some point, the process will go from the purely academic or the scientific which is assessment, measurement, definition, through to extraction. This would be being able to analyze what are the mineral resources of, say, the moon, the mineral and hydrological resources of Mars. Those are probably two of the most likely candidates for extraction over the next uh, century. So when you move into the extractive side of it, now you move from just the measurement and the analysis to how do we get it out? What is the technology? And can we adapt Earth technology to be able to uh, to do that? Those are some of the minerals that uh, you know are abundant in outer space that you've kind of touched on there. In terms of the exploration then, what are the types of minerals that you believe should be our primary targets? What should we be looking for first and foremost? Well, I'm gonna step out on a limb here, guys. And it's something that's captured my imagination, and it probably something that's closest from a you know from a practical, from a practical viewpoint. And I began looking into water. Water on Mars. Uh, part of NASA's whole effort uh, in doing exploration on Mars is to uh, find signs of early life and early life forms. And NASA's uh, exploration mo model is find water, life will follow. So I started looking at that and I thought, from an example of the extractive side of the industry, you know, maybe we should, for this conversation, pick one. I mean, we could have picked a iron rich asteroid and said, okay, we're gonna get iron and let's get iron down and process it or cobalt or, or helium. Helium is the second most abundant element on Saturn. 
and there is a shortage of helium on Earth. Uh, and, and there you've got a planet with quintillions of tons. But uh, that might be a little further out there. But water, you know, given NASA's efforts to locate water, map the water uh, resources of Mars, the hydrological regime, not to mention SpaceX, Elon Musk is planning to send a mission to Mars. What are they going to need? Both from the viewpoint of generating energy, sustaining life. Could you geoengineer Mars or part of Mars to support life? So from that viewpoint, I really got intrigued by, by water because you think of what, uh, you know, you guys are in the extractive side of the industry, you know, mining, you also do petroleum. If you had to drill for something, what would it be? The first reasonable and practical extraction attempt anywhere probably will be the first colonists on Mars trying to access a water resource. Yeah, and I think when you do speak about water, I mean, there's numerous different uses for it in outer space. I mean, consumption, even hygienic, but I think the largest use case is, is in propulsion systems. And, you know, you can kind of look at it as setting up your own fueling stations on Mars or on the moon or, or asteroids or anything like that. So if we were trying to build, say, a fueling station on Mars, how would we go about extracting water? That's a good, that's a good take on it, using Mars as an intermediary point. Maybe we're talking now technology 2050, 2060, but it makes sense to establish, you know, permanent colony. Maybe Musk has got it right. Establish a permanent colony. And it's not simply to, to you know, be a lifeboat for Earth, but as the stepping stone to, you know, other parts of the solar system or beyond. And it, it does come down to energy. So we're now looking at water and water exploitation as a, an energy business. We had this conversation, I think, back in February, uh, Jared, where we talked about solution mining and the application of solution mining away from Earth. And I think that's where we touched on the topic of ice. You know, if there is ice on an asteroid, if there is ice on Mars, it's been established that there is ice on Mars. How would we go about extracting it? Break that problem down to its simplest components making a hole, drilling a hole through stratified rock to the point where the resource is located. And that could be, you know, tens of meters to get to uh, a frozen uh, ice pack, frozen but preserved ice pack. It could be to significantly deeper depths. But then how do you convert that solid? In this case, it's ice. It's not potash or bitumen, how do you convert that into a liquid? Because then as a liquid, you can now flow it through a pipe, you can bring it to surface, you can process it. So a lot of those are, you know, they're similar challenges. Ice is probably no different than mining, solution mining potash, for instance. The chemistry is different, but you still need to get heat you need to get some sort of initial solvent down there to liquefy the ice and then bring it up. 
So now you're talking about a wellbore. We have to drill a hole. Secondly, what is the optimum configuration of that hole? Well, probably a horizontal. Now you're talking about casings. You're talking about the equipment that can make a hole to that particular depth. Um, how do we modify drilling equipment so that A, it is light, it's transportable, and it can withstand not only the surface environment on Mars, you know, minus 80 Celsius at the best of times, but also factors such as the atmosphere, the low vapor pressure that you'd encounter. So there's a number of these, uh, these stages to overcome. Uh, maybe the drilling rig is built as small modular pieces that can be shuttled up and then assembled. Not that much different from the way drilling rigs move today. I mean, the drilling rig does not move as one giant piece of iron. It moves as a number of bits and pieces and components. Is there a difference between having 15, 20 bed trucks or maybe 15, 20 uh, capsules or modules that are taken up into space? Of course, the energy requirement to get it out there is a bit different, but you know, it's another way of thinking about the issue. Then when we get out there, you get to Mars, there's the subsurface environment to deal with. When you drill, you can encounter zones of porosity, permeability, maintaining that subsurface environment. Do you use a drilling mud? Uh, do you set a casing? How do you keep from contaminating Mars with Earth bacteria? That's just for the shallow deposits of ice. And from the research I've done, there's been ice packs and, and ice at the level of uh, meters to tens of meters below the Martian surface. And these are ice beds that are in kind of like a stratified layer? It seems that way near the poles. So you are looking at a shallow stratified solid within a near surface, subsurface environment, drilling into it, putting heat to it, and then bringing a liquid up to a processing facility. So from the viewpoint of mining challenges, maybe a good place to start is looking at it from the solution mining industry or the SAG-D industry, especially SAG-D, because SAG-D is all about putting heat, steam, into a reservoir that is solid at normal, uh, you know, reservoir temperature and pressure, applying heat, liquefying it, bringing the liquid up. It really gets interesting when you look at some of the work that's been done at deeper subsurface deposits of water on Mars. And there is some evidence that points to the fact that at deeper depths, you know, greater than a thousand meters, uh, 1500 meters, there may in fact be liquid, there may be liquid water. Now, when you research that, uh, people still talk about pools of water or seas of water, very much the way people talk about pools of oil, or there's a big lake of oil under my land. In reality, it is fluid that is within a porous reservoir that ideally is a permeable reservoir. When you go to that next level, now you are looking at more conventional oil and gas technology. How do we modify and change that oil and gas technology such that you can drill into it, maintain the stability of the hole, do reservoir evaluation, and should there be movable liquid water, how do we pump it out? How do we treat it and process it at surface? So from an extractive viewpoint, 
you can break the problem of exploiting a resource on another planet, in this case, water, into components that I think, you know, you guys are engineers. You know, I can just see you smiling, Jared. You're thinking, oh, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can do this. But now you can begin looking for solutions. That is my, that is my opinion, gentlemen, of uh, if I was putting my money into anything, what resource would I go after and how would I approach it? That would be the first one. I would go, and for a number of reasons, it's an energy problem, it's a life problem, it's a sustainability problem. I go after water on Mars. You've got experience in taking concepts and notions through the exploration all the way to commercialization. You know, with this long-term challenge of outer space mining, you mentioned, you know, 2050, 2060, maybe we'll have a permanent base and we'll be looking at extracting water from, um, from the surface of Mars. What can we do in the meantime? Like, that's just too long an investment horizon for most people. So if it was, you know, specific technology that you can only use on Mars, well, you're not going to have any sort of commercial application for that for a long time. So I guess the question I have is, how can that technology be applicable here on Earth that we can gradually step ourselves towards mining off Earth, making it more feasible at that future state, but also realistic returns? Here's what I would do, and it might sound crazy. <clears throat> Elon, give these guys a call. Your crews are going to need water. Put a proposal together for SpaceX. I know the um, past CEO of Deep Space Industries has talked about setting up fueling stations throughout outer space to be able to um, fuel different satellite systems and kind of having a network of what he calls tow trucks that basically go to the fueling station, fill up, go to the satellite, and then just keep kind of doing that. And it extends the life of all of these objects humans are using in outer space and kind of extends the life cycle for what a lot of these small projects can see, I guess. And if there was a way that we could commercialize it or look to take our existing technology, you'd mentioned oil and gas technology, and sort of tweak it. I mean, what other sorts of things do we have to consider? And are there also current exploration technologies that we can use to better explore for water on outer space objects? The first is that, you know, as you know from your potash experience and, and its other commodities, the one thing you always try to do is get as much water out of the product as possible, simply because of the transportation cost. Here, water is very, is reasonably plentiful. You can always hydrate something if you dehydrate it. So why not dehydrate it? And then you're shipping the maximum uh, mass per volume of material at, you know, at your set transportation costs as you can. Then when you get it to the end site, you rehydrate it and you use it. And one of the challenges I see when we talk about space mining is exactly that creating a product, even if it's a feedstock product, let's say it's an asteroid and you're recovering uh, elemental iron, it's still transporting that iron back to a processing facility on Earth. And then either you, if, if you're using it on Earth, great, but what if you are using it somewhere else? Likewise with energy, it would make no sense to me to mine water on Mars or even an asteroid, capture an Earth asteroid or an asteroid, 
put it into uh, an ice asteroid or a portion of a comet, put it into Earth orbit, capture the water, liquefy it, and then bring it back down to Earth. To me, and again, I am not a dynamicist. I don't know much about propulsion systems, but to me, it seems you're hauling around a commodity that you may not get your money back. But it does make a lot more sense to say we can make energy out of water. So we will make it where we find it, and then we will convert it into the product that is required on site. It could be broken down to create hydrogen, generate oxygen. Now that can go to greenhouse application, you know, have oxygen for colonies and habitation, hydrogen for fuel that can be used for rocket systems and advanced propulsion systems. So the one thing is probably we will be using it where it's where it's found and that overcomes the logistic challenge. But the other thing that where I see a possibility, you know, and that first challenge is of course an engineering challenge. This is where guys like you can sit and say, okay, we've broken the problem down. Is it really that phenomenally out of this world? And in many cases it's it's not. The second problem is adaptive technologies that can help us identify economic deposits today. Well, uh, NASA has put out a hydrographic map of Mars. Again, I'm sticking to water as a focus for now. Uh, we all know that it is one thing to see a map of the Manville group in West Central Saskatchewan that shows channel thickness, porosity, permeability uh, that has been done from an academic viewpoint. It is another thing to take a look at it and say, where are we going to take our permit or our lease? How are we going to drill it? Are we drilling it with a horizontal well? Are we using chops? Are we using SAG-D? Is there any primary production? From the extractive viewpoint, you have to look at that same data, but you look at it differently. I mean, that's what's done every day in the petroleum industry. It's done in the mining industry. It is one thing to identify something academically. It is another thing to convert it to an applicable or a commercial application. That's where I really see the opportunity. There's many, many brilliant, brilliant minds looking at the analysis, the qualification of this and quantification of it. But what about the commercial applicability? Why can't we put together a concept which would look at what would a um, ice mining and or water production extraction and processing facility look like on Mars? What would it look like that same system to be taken and put on an ice asteroid, for instance? Um, it would be tough to put a processing facility on an ice asteroid Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not an engineer. I'm just a geo. It's a question of having the boldness. It's having the boldness to ask that question and formulate that proposal and not be afraid of the repercussions. Who would have thought, you know, look at the Starlink system. Internet everywhere across the globe. We're going to launch 48,000 satellites. Two astronauts just two weeks ago riding the SpaceX capsule and docking with International Space Station. Hmm. Yeah, 
five five years ago what a crazy thought but uh you know the first application i can see is figuring out how do we drill how do we produce and i think nasa is actually if they haven't done it already they're planning to send a drill probe up to mars it'll go down two meters sample a little bit deeper of that subsurface environment hey it's a start um, i certainly don't have the answers and i probably won't be around to 2050 to see if you know there's an actual water and energy production facility on mars you guys probably will uh, we'll just make it happen quicker for you Steve. <laughs> you got to make it happen quickly thank you yeah yeah so steve right now canada um, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of mining expertise. In fact, I think over 50% of all worldwide exploration expenditures are done in Canada. If that funding and that, that investment starts shifting off Earth, how can we take this competitive advantage that we have around mining exploration and go after that? Like, What do we have to do to make sure that we don't get left in the dust uh, in terms of worldwide leadership? You're absolutely right, Brandon. Canada and Western Canada is a leader in that technology. I can't tell you how many times in my travels, either Canadian standards are held up as the gold plate, or there are Canadian expats who are in strong leadership positions. That's what we're known for. The 43101 standard is considered a global standard for mining finance. Came from Canada, came from Western Canada. The drilling, completions, expertise, and technology, we are leaders. And now is an opportunity to diversify, to actually have enough confidence in ourselves to say, you know, we can handle this. And if anyone is going to be blazing that trail, it's going to be us. I think that takes a certain amount of bravery. It takes a certain amount of self-confidence, but putting it out there. Industry's got to start looking at itself that way. In part, it's discouraging. You know, I see groups in the oil industry where, you know, solution mining potash or helium, oh, that's, that's so way out there. Well, actually, it's a gas plate. It's a natural gas plate. It's just this gas does not burn, but it's no different. Really have the confidence and the bravery to make that big step. Federal government, you're looking to put out a challenge to keep the industry alive and well. Support these sorts of initiatives so that Canada seizes that high ground. Be the first ones off the bus. That's where we got to go with that, Brandon. Well, I appreciate your time, Steve. I know that you're a busy guy, so we'll just try to wrap things up. But do you have any parting advice to, say, young entrepreneurs or people in the resource sector to try to go after this? Well, you've heard the first thing. Elon, phone this guy. Phone him. Uh, the second thing is put together a concept document. Send it to the powers that be, the Canadian Space Agency. Send it to the Ministry of Innovation and uh, Trade. Send it to SpaceX. Send it to NASA. Very simple five to ten page concept exploration, concept document. That's how all of these ideas uh, start out, Jared. And get it out there. And do it. Do it fearlessly. 
once it's out there, I have a feeling that there will be the innovators, there will be the innovative sources of capital that will say, you know, that is the craziest, craziest thing I've ever, I've ever heard. But hey, there might be something to it. Hmm. Hmm. And you may have to cast a lot of lines into the water and um, it may take, you know, may take you pulling up a lot of seaweed and old tires and hooks stuck in the in the mud. But if you make that lure shiny enough, you're going to attract a big fish. So that would be my advice to you guys. Five of diamonds. Well, I'm kind of an ace of spades guy, personally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, appreciate your time so much, Steve. If people wanted to get a hold of you or are interested in learning more about uh, yourself and your work, how can they get a hold of you? You can look look for me on LinkedIn, my email, steveh at conceptforge.com. I'm sure they could contact you, Jared, through Peter Lucas, and you can forward my contact information on, on to anyone interested. Yeah, and uh, we'll just uh, collaborate. Hey, I might get I might get someone going to my LinkedIn page saying, "Wow, what brilliant guys at PLPM!" Uh, <laughs> I promise I'll make the connection. I'll pass them on to you. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> maybe maybe Elon will get mixed up and he'll email me instead of you, Jared. I I won't hog the contact. Please I, let me know if that happens. Yeah, even if it's man, that Halliburton is kind of out to lunch. I get it. <clears throat> That won't bother me. I enjoyed this, guys. Um, good luck with your series. Uh, good luck with uh, Peter Lucas. Uh, I've worked with you before, and it always was um, an enjoyable experience. And hopefully we can work together in the future. Because uh, one thing, Jared, about you and your team and, and Brandon, you're not afraid to go places where other people might say, woo, it's getting a little bit too scary. But sometimes that's where the juice is. Well, we hope everyone's enjoyed today's episode. If you have any comments or questions, pop by peterlucas.ca slash unearthed and leave us a note. Or you can contact us at the Twitter handle at Space Unearthed. <laughs> <laughs>